Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato from MediaMonarchy.com. It is possible that the protests caused an increase in the spread of COVID. We've got that story plus arrest warrant for Trump. But first, Colorado adopts mandatory vaccinations for school kids. This coming from the fantastic OffGuardian.org. And again, everything that we always mention in these shows for 10 plus years will always be, of course, put down in your show notes. A little more than 48-hour notice, many Coloradans enjoying a Sunday afternoon a couple days ago as the State Senate Health and Insurance Committee squirreled away in the confines of the state capitol to approve the School Entry Immunization Act, also known as SB 20-163, Senate Bill 20-163. Democrats control both houses of the General Assembly as well as the governor's mansion for the trifecta, thereby controlling Colorado's entire legislative agenda. A bipartisan amendment was added to allow for a voter referendum in the 2022 election, but they removed that pesky language. In addition, much of the state's mainstream media provided minimal reporting on the Dems slipping SB 163 through on a Sunday afternoon, RFK Jr.'s appearance before the committee, or the size of that last-minute rally that actually happened. As its name implies, SB 163 mandates immunizations for all children entering Colorado public schools, thereby taking the decision out of the parents' hands and requiring a doctor to certify approval. We'll give you the link. Colorado SB 20-163 School Entry Immunization. So it's not forced medication at the at the barrel of a gun yet. I think this is kind of basically another legal move to make it that much harder for parents to get exemptions. And that is a done deal set in stone, signed and Dunskies. Meanwhile, on the flip side, bill making it illegal to forcefully microchip employees passes Michigan House. This coming from Activist Post. Lawmakers in Michigan have passed a bill that would make it illegal for employees, or rather employers, to force their employees to be tagged with microchips in a bid to preemptively thwart companies who seek to make it mandatory to wear the productivity tracking devices. Because now that's what they are. It's not microchipping, it's just a Fitbit to see, you know, how you're doing on your walk to work thing. Michigan House passed the bill last Wednesday a week ago, which would make acceptance of the microchip implants voluntary. So reports WJRT, and we'll include the link to WJRT, as they sort of reword the story to say, Bill requires employees to keep implanted microchips voluntary for workers. Michigan House Bill 5672, the Microchip Protection Act, will include a link to that as well. Unlike the first one, seems like this one is not a done deal yet. James? May not be a done deal, but at any rate, I think these two stories both encapsulate what really is the story of 2020, and perhaps more ominously, the story of the 2020s, which is bodily autonomy, and perhaps the extinguishing of the notion of your legal right to bodily autonomy. Specifically, can can employers force you to have a microchip? No. Okay, great. Can schools force your children to be vaccinated? Yes. And these are this is the central question. Under what circumstances and how and through what legal process can the state come in and regulate what you can and cannot do with your body, what you will have to be forced to put into your body or to your child's body? And that that really is the central question of of all of this that we've been steeped through for the past several months, uh, where there were exemptions 
there will no longer be exemptions. And exactly as you indicate, I don't think that this is, and I don't think this is likely, at least in the near term, to become taking a vaccine at the barrel of a gun. Uh, Who knows? There may be some sort of mandates in, in various jurisdictions, but I think generally speaking, it's no, it's going to be voluntary, i.e. it's going to be coerced. Uh, if you want to go to school, well, you're going to have to take the vaccine. If you want to uh, enter this public space, if you want to participate in this public event, uh, can uh, can uh, employers force employees to be microchipped? Maybe not, but of course they can still have voluntary microchip programs, and perhaps maybe they will be able to say, well, you can't you can't join our company unless you are vaccinated, and will the court step in and stop it? These are the central questions that have not yet been legally decided in black and white yet, but clearly we know which way this is trending, and we know which way the powers that shouldn't be are trying to take this question, so this is it. This is the fight. So I'm going to obviously be covering this and talking about this in much greater detail, but I need the Corbett Report and the Media Monarchy audience's help on this. If there are any uh, Corbett Report members in the audience who have specific information about your specific locale and either discussions regarding mandating of vaccines or any legislation or anything that's already been passed, please do leave that specific information with the specific link in the comments for this episode of New World Next Week, not in YouTube or some other social media space. No, at CorbettReport.com. I I really want to compile a list of that information for some of my future reports. Absolutely. So, James, we're we're here pretty much at the halfway mark of quite the year 2020 has been, so maybe we should both make the notes. As you just said, bodily autonomy might be the story, at the very least, of this year that we are in right now. Isn't it interesting? I guess the whole my body, my choice thing, that only refers to abortion. It doesn't apply to any of the other things here in the medical martial law. James, our second story here for what is New World Next Week, episode 414 for July 2nd, 2020. As an amazing Media Monarchy member, Girder says, a double shot of doublethink for your New World Next Week consideration. The first part, BLM protests have not led to spike in coronavirus cases. This coming from the New York Post. Black Lives Matter protests haven't seen coronavirus cases surge in cities since the massive demonstrations began, a study says. The new research, published by the, of course, National Bureau of Economic Research, found no evidence that coronavirus cases jumped in 315 cities in the weeks following the first protests. Researchers determined that protests may have been offset by, oh, I don't know, uh, let's say an increase in social distancing among those who didn't go to protests. That's okay. Let's stick with that. While it is almost certain, this again, this is real research. While it is almost certain that the protest caused a decrease in social distancing behavior among protest attendees, we demonstrate that effect of the protests on the social distancing behavior of the entire population residing in counties with large urban protests was positive. While it is possible that the protests caused an increase in the spread of COVID-19 among those who attended the protests, we demonstrate that the protests had little effect on the spread of COVID-19 for the entire population of the counties with protests during the more than three weeks following protest onset, the researchers said. And that is just some amazing mental gymnastics. So that's the first part. Meanwhile... 
COVID-19 planning considerations, this is a very important thing. The guidance for school re-entry. No child or adolescents should be excluded from school unless required in order to adhere to local public health mandates or because of unique medical needs. James, I've covered endlessly on my morning show, places from the states to all around the world, the ridiculous things they're making little kids do in school, sitting, of course, in little boxes. Again, as as the song used to say, little little boxes on the hillside. So is it possible to simultaneously accept two mutually contradictory beliefs as correct, James? I think there's a very historical term for that called doublethink, right? Doublethink, exactly. Yeah, well, uh, in case people believe that was only fiction, you're about to find out, unless you haven't seen it demonstrated already, people already accepting this. Uh, Yeah, so this actually is the, I think, the defining hallmark of the biosecurity paradigm, that the state essentially gets to sanction behavior at this point. They get to say that, yes, you can engage in this type of behavior, but when and if and as it is convenient to the establishment for them to say that that type of behavior shouldn't take place, they can just flip the switch and say, but that's going to cause a new wave. And and this is the perfect crystal clear examination. I know we're not breaking new ground here. I'm sure you've heard this reflected on before, but For anyone who hasn't thought of this yet, yes, of course, if the state and the corporations and Nike and McDonald's and everyone else who's jumping on this bandwagon get behind and say, this is good activity, then it's okay. But if it's not approved activity, it will be uh, denigrated and eventually outlawed. Um, And that, that that is the switch that they are trying to install right now in the biosecurity paradigm, which is to say that, no, sorry, that's going to cause a public health crisis, so we can't allow that activity to take place. You want to you wanna protest about this? No. You can protest about that, but you can't protest about this, because that type of protest will spread disease. That type of protest won't spread disease. It's on its face. Absolutely ridiculous. But a lot of the population is going to go along with it because they like that. Well, we should protest about this. So, okay, they're allowing us. Yay. And this is how the state always works to pit people against each other and divide and conquer and all of that. I mean, again, we're not breaking new ground here. You've heard it before, but it is exceptionally important to keep this at the forefront of your consciousness because they're trying to install a new paradigm. And this is what it is about. It is about the state being able to set step in and stop any activity at any time by declaring public health emergency. James, I finally texted one of my dear, nearly lifelong friends who's a respiratory therapist and a registered nurse. And I never actually talked about any of this. We've never had a political relationship. We mostly have only ever talked about Nintendo and cheap trick and stuff. I finally texted him the other day to basically say, I was like, dude, what is, what is going on with this? Do you think it's being blown out of proportion? Is it real? Is it this or this is it that? He wrote back very succinctly, media is blowing this up. So that's one of my buddies, again, in this field, which again, you could say, well, that's in West Virginia. So of course it's going to be a smaller case, but microcosm i think still works when we extrapolate it out james i find these the sort of juxtaposition of stories i think to be a a really actually powerful tool i found it really interesting recently to just sort of and i maybe even you know joke about it here in the house mention one story about oh gosh you hear they're doing this and then follow it up with one that is actually satire and isn't true oh man did you hear and the two seem again like satire is dead 
But again, I think these kind of juxtapositions, putting these stories together, is, I think, a real simple way to kind of illustrate the stories. I think one other update I want to add to this, James, as a semi-related, essentially these same, like, medical martial law geniuses, while all of this is going on, they are still messing things up with CRISPR. A quick update to a story we've been following. James, I double-checked it. We've been talking about it for nearly five years here on the show. CRISPR gene editing in human embryos wreaks chromosome mayhem. And one of the quotes from the story says, it, one of the doctors, if human embryo editing for reproductive purposes or germline editing were spaceflight, the new data are the equivalent of having the rocket explode at the launch pad before takeoff. And again, these are the guys that are going to warp speed some experimental human RNA vaccine. Again, it's insanity. So finally here for New World Next Week 414, the perfect Independence Day story, James, as we, of course, head into the July 4th big holiday here in the States this weekend. We take it from the CNBC. Iran issues arrest warrant for Trump over the killing of Soleimani. Iran's government has issued an arrest warrant for U.S. President Donald Trump over the killing of its top general, General Qasem Soleimani, in January, as reported by the country's semi-official Fars News Agency. Tehran also reportedly asking Interpol for help. Ali Al-Ghassi Mayer, the Attorney General of Tehran, named Trump and 35 others Iran has accused of involvement in Soleimani's death as facing murder and terrorism charges and was quoted as saying they've asked Interpol to issue red notices for them. That is the highest level notice Interpol can issue on an individual to pursue their arrest. However, Trump is in no danger of arrest, and it is highly unlikely Interpol would honor Iran's request, as the international agency's guidelines forbid it from undertaking any intervention or activities of a political nature. Red notices enable local law enforcement authorities to arrest individuals on behalf of the requesting country, though they cannot force the country to arrest or extradite suspects. Trump administration has so far not responded to Iran's announcement. Interpol also did not respond to a reply for a request from comment from CNBC. Soleimani, again, it's been quite the action-packed 2020 so far, led Iran's Quds Force, if you recall. The foreign operations wing of the elite paramilitary Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Trump administration labeled him, ironically, a terrorist, and Washington deemed him responsible for the deaths of hundreds of U.S. troops in Iraq. The 62-year-old Soleimani was killed in a drone strike directed by Trump in early January while in the Iraqi capital of Baghdad in a move that sent regional tensions and oil prices soaring and triggered a retaliatory attack by Iran and its proxies on Iraqi bases housing U.S. troops. And again, we've, James, we've talked about this before. The only time Swamp Thing gets a free pass with the fake progressive left is when he openly becomes a warmonger. Those are the times, of course, like, oh, well, he's, he seems so presidential, eh, James? Yeah, exactly right. So I, I appreciate the the gesture that the Iranian government is making here, but of course it is just gestural. It is not going to be enforced in reality in any way, shape, or form, and no one is expecting that it will be. But could you imagine a world in which U.S. presidents were actually held accountable for war crimes? And if you could imagine such a world, how far back, how many presidents back would you have to go before you could find one that you wouldn't convict of war crimes. I mean, certainly none of the recent ones would qualify. Uh, I was just reflecting the other day on the fact that Obama's name is not 
intimately linked with the destruction and rape and pillage of Libya in the public imagination, the way that, for example, Bush and WRD in Iraq is intimately linked in the public imagination. But Obama's name isn't linked with Libya in that way. And that is the crystal clear example of just how the propaganda functions and how much people's perceptions are shaped by media. Because there is really, I mean, Obama's Iraq WMD was Libya, but it's just no one remembers it that way. Anyway, Trump with Soleimani strike. Yes, absolutely. A war crime for sure. And we documented that at the time, but I'll just put some of the cookie crumbs in the relateds here, um, going back to the fact that, of course, it was based on secret evidence that they couldn't show the public, or at least that's what the Trump administration was saying at the time. Yeah, they were going to strike. Absolutely. He was going to strike. He was planning something, except for the fact that uh, Mark Esper came out and said that he had seen no evidence to support the idea that U.S. embassies were under threat. And then uh, you had the Iraqi officials coming out and saying it was ISIS, not Iran, who was behind the rocket attack that Trump had used to justify the Soleimani strike. And then you had the ISIS, the official ISIS newspaper coming out and thanking God, literally thanking God for Trump killing Soleimani. So, Hmm. Well, what's really going on here? Oh, that's right. It was later confirmed Israel had supplied the key intelligence for the U.S. assassination of the strike on Soleimani. Oh, surprise, surprise. So uh, for people who missed that story at the time, I did do uh, uh, questions for Corbett on did Soleimani kill 600 Americans that at least document some of the lies and propaganda that was going around at that time. But I can imagine in any other year, this would have been one of the candidates for one of the big, you know, fake news awards next year. Although, obviously, subsequent events have kind of uh, overshadowed this event. But I'm, I, I'm at least glad that Iran is putting this on record and putting that red notice out there so that it can be at least as a testament to some of the war crimes of this current administration. One other related, James, to another story again that we've been following. Again, I don't feel like a lot of other outlets have covered it, and that's the situation, I think, with China and India essentially almost turning into a hot war. And of course, you can't have a hot or a cold war these days without the cyberspace war element to it. TikTok denies sharing Indian user data with Chinese government. This being, of course, the, the latest sort of virtual battlefield that this is taking place. TikTok essentially being a Chinese-owned garbage social media account that everybody's all so crazy about this week. That Chinese company might be sharing Indian user data with the Chinese government, and as you might imagine, India is not very pleased over that. Covering that and so many more things, James, each and every morning on my morning show, I basically kind of have a hashtag per day. And so on Mondays, I'll do geopolitics. Tuesday, I do cyberspace war. And I think it's, I, I call it like sections of the newspaper. I think it lets us cover a, a ton of news. And again, after I do five days of, you know, shows during the week, I get to the end. It's like, I, I think I have a, a decent idea of hopefully some of the important things going on in the world. And I've hopefully shared that in some sort of fear-free, open-source kind of way. So, James, I was going to joke before we wrap this baby up. Are you, you might have to delay your fake news awards like all the other uh, award shows are all having to delay their big shows. It might be so big, you'll have to delay the fake news right. awards till 21. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we'll have to socially distance at the, uh, at the fake news awards next year. So as we wrap this up, James, I just want to mention, as I've put, I always kind of double check on my calendar. I've done five weeks of Monday through Friday, nine to five broadcasting. And I think that earns me 
next week off. So as we head into this 4th of July weekend, just want to give an announcement that we'll be off the air in the Media Monarchy Kingdom next week. However, the Media Monarchy community never closes. There are people in there from all around the world, from all kinds of countries, growing more and more by the time. And again, I would love to see folks come check out the chat stream. You can do it at MediaMonarchy.com slash join. James, I thank you, buddy. And thank you. And on that note, I think I'm going to be joining you next week in uh, taking a short respite because, uh, as you say, we've reached the halfway part of 2020. But as I've been saying recently, I don't think we've seen I don't think we've seen the half of it yet. Uh, I think it's going to get even crazier from here. So I'm going to take this short respite to recover and hopefully get ready for what is coming, because I'm sure the next half of this year is going to be crazy. So um, a lot to cover. Anyway, I'll be taking next week off as well, uh, enjoying a little bit of a summer break. Uh, in the meantime, of course, I'll be posting different videos up to the front page of CorbettReport.com. That I know there's a lot of new listeners and new, uh, new eyes on this material who probably don't know about most of the material in the archives, so I'll be trying to highlight some things from the past that uh, I think would be interesting. On that note, I think we're going to leave it there. So uh, we won't be back next week, but we will be back in two weeks. James, nothing could possibly happen of interest over, you know, the Independence Day weekend there in the U.S. I mean, there's not going to be anything that happens while we're away, right? That's that's usually mo most of my listeners. They always now essentially take my a vacation as a warning that the, that the poop's about to hit the oscillator. So. <laughs> it's always the way. Well, anyway, we're going to try to enjoy a week off. Uh, I hope other people are also similarly thinking about that. A media fast is not a bad idea um, because we can get too, too immersed in this information and it starts to affect you mentally and everything else. So people need to take breaks. Anyway, on that note, we're going to leave it here. See you in two weeks. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. Take care.